Anyone watch Breaking Bad? You shouldn't admit that in church. I was just checking. Okay, so now I know. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry, everyone else is lying. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a program and it has nothing to do with my message at all, except that the title is what I wanted for my message. Now, Breaking Bad, what am I talking about? Any of you ever watched any other sitcoms or entertainment on TV? Things like The Simpsons. I know it's kind of old school, but they're still making new ones even to this day. No one watches Simpsons. Anyone here? All right, same couple. There's something wrong with you guys. You need to take TV out of your house. Okay? I used to love The Simpsons. I just did. That's the way I I grew up like that, and maybe that's why I was um, as naughty as I was. But I watched The Simpsons. I enjoyed it. And there's a character in there that you're going to recognize. His name is Ned Flanders. Even if you don't watch The Simpsons, you know who Ned Flanders is, right? Does... Everyone know? Okay, I'm just going to be clear. Ned Flanders is the nerdy Christian guy, okay? He's the dorky, geeky um, guy who has, he's out of touch with reality. He has no clue what's going on in the real world. He's just always got a Bible under his arm, and he's always, you know, when everyone wants to do something fun, then there's Ned Flanders who wants to do the opposite of that. So he's kind of the killjoy of the program. And um, there's a lot of programs that have that sort of thing. Another program, I know I'm getting into TV this morning here, but I I don't know. It seems as if I'm the only one who watches TV. Um, Community. It's another series. In community, it's not important that you remember this, but in community, there's another lady. She's a colored lady with massive hair, and her name is Shirley. And she's also the geeky Christian. Ah, I'm so excited right now. I feel like I should start again for the sake of the recording. Okay, so you've got these guys, Ned Flanders, now you recognize him probably over there on the left, and then of course you've got Shirley on the right-hand side up there, and she's the, also the geeky kind of nerdy Christian. Uh, you can see there the cross, and that's nice, that's what she always says, so she's always the one who's like, Jesus wouldn't like it if you did this and that, um, you know, in that cool American way that they do it. And then of course, Seventh Heaven, anyone ever watch that? You're allowed to admit that in church, okay? Because mostly it's fine unless you look at the real life of the people who act in it. Anyway, so you've got seventh heaven. And, um, and again, to me, what you get painted with is this kind of um, out-of-touch, nerdy Christianity. It's this kind of like, you know, we're the ones who want to kill all the fun and, and say all the silly things and do all the cliches. And it's, it's, it's just the way that the media often portrays Christians. There's another way that the media portrays Christians. And you might have got some, some of this when you scan News 24 or something else. Uh, is judgmental or holier than thou? Have you ever seen anything like that? I'm not going to read out what these are, but these are real things. So on, on the right-hand side, your international burner Corande. Um, that's a fairly intolerant thing to have up anywhere. And then, of course, you've got on the right-hand side there. Um, those are kids that they get to hold these posters. It's a very, very well-known church in America. And, um, and, and they've got all sorts of offensive things. Just when you think you've seen the most offensive banner you can see, then they say, God made 2011, uh, uh, um, 9-11 happen. And, 
the soldiers are dead, God's laughing. Uh, this is a church, okay, that's putting out these things, and they're giving it to kids, and they're making them wear shirts of it and that sort of thing. Uh, so it's absolutely ridiculous. So on the one hand, you've got the, this idea of nerdy, out-of-touch Christians. Then on this hand, you've got this extremist, radical, judgmental, holier-than-thou Christianity. And neither of those, in my opinion, look very good. Another view of Christianity. We're just in it for the money. Send me your prayer requests with money. What's the best nation in the world? A donation. Now, I'm not... That one actually is quite funny. Um, I'm not in any way taking a go at these guys. What I'm telling you is that the media is pushing a certain angle of Christianity all the time. It's either out of touch or it's judgmental, or it's money-hungry, and all we want is money, money, money. That's why we talk about it all the time. So you get these really distorted views that people bring in. And unfortunately, because of how Christians are portrayed in the news and in the media, we often get a reputation for being kind of too good to be around. But that's not in a good way. That's not in a, like a positive, hey, man, you're so amazing. It's not in that way. It's like you're so good. You know what? Just go be good over there kind of a thing. And there's a, there's a reputation that we get as Christians that is just makes us out of touch. And it, it, it kind of severs any relational stuff we can build with people because of what they understand from looking at the media. So today I want to kind of press the reset button on how people try to box Christians and try to understand them. One of the saddest things I hear in what I do as a pastor, I do get to speak to people. That's one of the joys of my job and also one of the not so joys. And um, in speaking to people, there's a phrase that you hear sometimes, and you would have heard it as well. It's not exclusive to pastors, um, but it's such a sad phrase. And this is, this is what happens. You run into someone, and then when they find out what you are or who you are or what you do, um, they go, oh, 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 church, yes. I've been uh, meaning to go back to church. Uh, I haven't been in church for a long time, but, uh, you know, I was actually going to go this Sunday. That's amazing that I just met you now. Um, you know, and, and they say, but, but I want to go back to church. I just want to make sure that I'm a little bit cleaned up before I do, okay, because I used to do the whole church thing and I was a choir boy and I like swung the incense and I did this and I sung the hymns and I came and did everything but I kind of fell away from that after school or after something bad happened and uh, I want to come back but you know I'm such a mess right now I think what I'm going to do is just try and clean myself up a little bit and then I'm going to come back to church if anyone ever heard anyone talk like that often it's a very common way of thinking but the obvious thing there is that they've got it backwards they don't have to be sorted out to come to church. Jesus made one thing clear when he was walking. Come as you are. Come as you are. That was the message. Not you need to do this and jump through these hoops and do this and stop doing that and why are you still doing that and then as soon as you've sorted that out, come. Come as you are. That was the very simple message that Jesus came with. Now we know as people who have followed Jesus for a little while, we'll know that Jesus says, come as you are, but, and he loves us just so much that he would take us as we are, but he loves us so much that he won't leave us as we are. That's the way that Jesus is. That's his nature. And so we, we are called to come as we are. But we thank God that he does something in us and transforms us along the journey. So the question isn't, are you good enough to be a Christian? Are you okay enough to be a Christian? But are you bad enough to be a Christian? Hence the title, Breaking Bad. Christians are not people that always get it right. But we are people that live in the love and grace of Jesus. There was a banner that I used to see when I was ministering in Sun Valley in Fishhook uh, in Cape Town. 
There was a banner that I would often see there. You know, they had one church there, St. Peter's. I, can't, I don't even know what denomination it was, but St. Peter's. And they had these really funky banners. And they were, most of them were pretty cool. Some were super cheesy, but that's just the way that it goes. You can't win them all. Um, but they had these great banners. And one of them, it took me a while to, to actually understand what it said. But I think you're quicker than me, so let's see. This church is not full of hypocrites. There's always room for one more. Okay. Glad at least one person got that. There's always room for one more. Kevin Hart. Heard of him. Comedian. He said a very interesting thing. I think it's very interesting. And it's related to church. He's not a Christian guy. Okay, well, not, not to my knowledge. He said this. Not going to church because of hypocrites is like not going to gym because of unhealthy people. Okay, his words were fat people, but I was trying to be more PC there. But he was saying, you you know, that's not a good enough reason. If you went to gym and everyone was toned and looking good and everyone had a six-pack and was doing their thing, you would think, what are you doing at the gym? You're done. You're finished. Okay, whatever you came here to do, you've done it. Now you can leave. The rest of us need to actually work out and get somewhere. And the same thing, you come to church and people somehow expect the church to be saints, everyone's perfect, no problems here, everything's, we're all toned and and spiritually fine and none of us ever do anything wrong. That's madness. Who are the people you're going to find in the gym? The people who need to go to the gym. Hopefully, right? Who are you going to find in church? The people who need, who realize that they need something from God, that we haven't got it all together. So the secret, the massive secret is out the world knows that the church is full of sinners. We always knew that. So it wasn't a big secret for us. But fortunately, the other thing that we know is that God has called us. He's shown us where we've sinned and got things wrong. And he's offered us a fresh start. And for you this morning, that might be exactly what you need is a fresh start. In preparing, there were two groups of people that I had specifically on my heart. And they were these two people Number one is people who are feeling under the weight of sin. Do you know that it's possible to follow Christ, to be a Christian, to be born again, whatever terminology you want to use? It is possible to follow Christ and still feel the weight of sin. It's possible to still be in certain bondage under Christ and still be uh, doing doing things that you wish you never did. We know that Paul famously said that I keep doing things I don't want to do and I keep not doing things I do want to do. And there is a wrestling And it is possible to get it wrong. And it is possible to even live in sinful habits as a follower of Christ. That's possible. And what that does is it puts a massive amount of weight on your shoulders. It forces you to live in a way that is not the way that you were designed to live. It forces you to to do things in, in, in different ways and in unhealthy ways. And so for people, the first group of people that this message is for, are people who feel that they're under the weight of something. Maybe it's something you haven't been able to shake. And every time you think you've got it right, you get it wrong again. And, and, and you just keep going back to the same thing that you thought you had dealt with. But now there it is again. And you feel the weight of that. The other group of people who this message is specifically for this morning is uh, people and you've never had a fresh start. You, don't know, you, you hardly know what I'm talking about when I talk about a fresh start with Jesus. You've never had... An encounter with God where you just know that he's reaching out to you, you take his hand, and everything is going to be okay, and you start the journey with him. 
You've just never had that. And so for you, you're kind of living in your own world of what you think is right and what you think is wrong and what you think you should do and shouldn't do. And, but you've never had an experience with God that just sets you free and liberates you to live your life the way you were designed to live it. So those are the two groups of people. Now, maybe you don't fit into those two groups. That's great for you. That's a good thing. Who knows what tomorrow brings? And hopefully it doesn't bring that. <laughs> but who knows? Maybe this message comes to you at a time when you need it. Now, Psalm 51 is a very, very well-known psalm. It's, uh, it's written by King David. Uh, he was the second king of Israel. I want to give you just a touch of background on that. And then I'm going to go into what the psalm says. Don't read it ahead of me. I can see you. You're one of those students, eh? Um, psalm 51. It's a brilliant psalm. It's 19 verses written by the second king of Israel. All right? There was first Saul. Then there was David. He was, as God described him, a man after God's own heart. So this is a guy you want to take seriously. He was the specimen. He was the guy. I mean, if there was a, a bachelor, you know, in, like bachelor, you know, no one watches that either. Okay, me neither. It's terrible. I wouldn't do it. If there was a program on MTV called The Bachelor and you were looking for the ultimate bachelor, you'd probably have Bear Grylls and David. Okay? And the Bible says this about David. He's rugged. He's rugged and he's good looking. So there's a good start for any bachelor. But more than that, he is a fighter, he's a warrior, he's a lover, he's a poet. I mean, this guy, he like ticks all the boxes, I think, for most ladies, from what I would imagine. And, uh, and he's just a, an amazing guy. And God actually says about him, he's got a heart after mine. And something happened one day. He got complacent. Somehow his heart got a little bit cold, it got a little bit hard. And somehow he allowed a situation to happen. Let me paint the picture for you. I know most of you already know this story, but let me just spell it out for those of you who don't. But you've got this guy, the king, who can have anything he wants. He's living in the palace. And one evening he goes up. But here's the problem. He shouldn't have been in the palace. The verse in the chapter that we're going to go to or that this comes from says that at a time when kings go to war, David didn't go. He chose to stay at home. To what we know, that's the first time that he decided to do that. Like I said, he was a military man. He was a fighter. And not only that, he inspired people. He was a leader of leaders. And so where he went, people wanted to go. So he would lead battles and all those sorts of things. He wasn't a king that just made things happen over there. He was involved. But this year was different. Fighting season came around. And everyone knows that the time of war was this time. And the kings go out and they do their thing. And David chose not to go with everybody else which was not a good move. It was not a wise move. It was not a clever move. And David didn't go. And while he was at home and everyone else was fighting battles on his behalf, he goes upstairs, maybe on the top of his palace, and looks over and sees um, this lady in the bathtub. And her name is very easy to remember because it's Bathsheba, right? And she was kind of in the bath. So she, she was there cleaning herself on the roof or whatever, lazing around or whatever she was doing. And David, being a man, wanted that. David, being the king, could have that. So he literally ordered that that would happen. So he said to his people, uh, just go get that lady. Don't look directly at her for my eyes only and uh, bring her to me. And they did that. And she came into his palace. He slept with her. She conceived. Now he's got a problem. 
See, because if he just slept with her and then sent her back, that would not be good. But the chances of anyone finding out would be very, very small. But now you've got a problem. Because she says, something's happened. I think you might be the dad. She knew that because she was married, and her husband was a fighting man, and he was at war. So the chances are it was David. Okay, so David says, okay, well, we've got a situation now. How do we solve the situation? Well, he says, if I can bring the fighting man, the husband, home, and they can be romantic, then it can look like it's his child, because it's sort of around about the same time, you know, and for them, they weren't measuring months and doing sonars and checking head sizes, hang on, what's going on here, no DNA test then, but if it was roughly the same sort of time, so they brought him in, so, so David ordered that this guy, the husband, would be brought back in, and David, now you can just see what's happening here, he starts off with this thing, he stays at home, then it moves to, he sees something he shouldn't. Now, a lot of people see things we shouldn't. But what do we do after that? That's actually the important thing. It's not the temptation that's the problem. It's how we deal with temptation, right? So he saw that. He then couldn't get that out of his mind. He acted on it. Then he violated someone else's wife and got her pregnant. So can you see how like the sins just multiply on top of each other? As soon as you do one thing, it's like you have to cover it up then. So he gets the husband in, and the husband is a more noble character than he is at that stage, more noble than David, if you can believe that. And the husband says this, because he says, oh, welcome home. I just wanted to get a report on the war. How's things going? All good. Okay, cool. Night. Go home to your wife and just enjoy your time. And he says, I'm not going to do that. All of my troops are out fighting, sleeping in tents, in the freezing cold, in the difficult times. There's no way I'm going to lie in my comfortable bed and be with my wife. Are you mad? That's no. So he slept in the doorway, in the cold, outside. That's the kind of character that we're talking about of this guy. And so David goes, okay, new strategy. I'm going to get this guy drunk. Because maybe when he's drunk, he's going to do those things that I'm asking him to do. And the next night, he wines and dines him, and he gets him drunk. And then he says, go home, be with your wife, it's all cool, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and he goes, and he says, no ways. And he sleeps with the servants outside in the doorway. So David says, now nah, I've got a problem. Because if this isn't going to happen, then it's going to be obvious that this child is not his child. So if that's the case... I need to get rid of him a different way. And he actually has the, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous to think of this. He gives this guy a note. And you can just imagine the note sealed with his thing, David. Here you go. It's a note from the king. Take this back to the leader of the army. Just take this note back. It's giving him a strategy on how to proceed with the war. Okay. And he take, he's taking his own death notice with him. And he goes to this guy and he says, here, what is this? No, I don't know. King David said I must give it to you. Okay. And he opens it up and he says, You know the messengers that just got this? Advance against an enemy and put him on the front and then let everyone else just come backwards and let whatever happens happen. So he's ordering this guy's death in a very diplomatic and nice way of doing it. And that's exactly what happens. So they all go and you can imagine this guy fighting and he's amazing and he's got this character and he's a fighter and all of a sudden he turns around and all of the other troops are like 10 meters backwards. And he gets totally, he gets annihilated. Um, And David says, bullet dodged. That could have been bad. He thinks he got away with it. And God sends someone. Because at that stage, you, you must understand, 
his heart is cold. He's not hearing a thing that God's saying anymore. Someone who's so close to God, someone who's so connected to God, making some dumb decisions, one decision after another, after another, after another. And, and God, so God actually sends someone else to speak to him. And the prophet Nathan comes to him and he says, you think no one knows what you did. God knows what you did. And now I know what you did. And what you did was wrong. You can imagine David in that moment has a couple of options. Number one, kill this guy and get it done. That wouldn't be too far a cry for what he's already done, would it? Just to say, well, if this is the only guy that God's spoken to, let me wipe him out and then we'll still be okay. He doesn't react like that. And this is the point of the whole message that I have for us today. I'm going to read for us quickly the psalm. Psalm 51. Remember when I read this that David didn't write this to you. David was sitting alone in his study, in his palace, doing what he was doing and writing his prayers to God. We just get to eavesdrop on it. We just get to look at it. So he wasn't writing this for our benefit, but it is so beneficial. And so let's read through this. And then we'll get to some points. Psalm 51, a psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You don't desire sacrifice or I'd offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject the broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with the sacrifice offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. This is quite quite an amazing scripture. David, the chosen king, the one after God's heart, the one whom God said, the savior of the world will come from your lineage. In other words, your children are going to give birth to Jesus one day. That David stuffed up royally. He made a massive series of errors. Were there consequences? There were. Maybe the part of the story you don't know is that Nathan said, as a consequence of your action, that child that was conceived will die. And that child did die. There was a consequence for what he did. Was there forgiveness and restoration? Yes, there was. Thank God. 
There was help for David and there's help for us. So whether you've walked with God for a long time or you've never put your faith or your trust in Him, there's help in God's Word for you today. You may not be good enough to be a Christian, but the good news is that we are all bad enough. Now, God doesn't work in formulas. You know, just as soon as you think you've got Him figured out, He does things in a different way. And who knows why? I, I sus- suspect that the, the reason he does that is because if there were formulas that he gave us, that's what people, that's all people would do. If we knew that we had to pray three times for this at this time of day and this, and this would happen, well, that would be easy. But that's not how God works. He's not a jukebox. He's not a, uh, uh, what's that thing called with the casino? A slot machine. You know, if you do this and do that, put the right amount in the right slot, pull the lever at the right time, stuff. No. God is very different with the way that he deals with each person in each situation. So there's not a formula, but what I see in this psalm, Psalm 51, is a kind of a pattern. And the pattern that I see is this, and this is for David's life and the way and his response. He was broken. He was broken up. Then he owned up. Then he was cleaned up. And that's what I want to just touch on, those brief points this morning. Number one, broken up. Check at this. The sacrifice you desire is what? A broken heart. See, David could have sacrificed anything on the planet, literally. He could have had sawdust brought in from the tip of Africa to sacrifice in a certain... He could have done anything. He was literally the biggest person on the planet at the time. But that isn't what God desired. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Now, if you're used to the New International Version, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. Those are the, that's the same verse, and we know that one well. A broken or contrite heart, this is important, is a heart that is soft and teachable. That's what God desires. That's what He wants, is a soft and teachable heart, not a hard heart. The opposite, of course, is a hard heart. And that's something we have to work on as Christians. Because it's never okay to get to a place where our hearts are cold and not open to the voice of God. That is where David found himself before this mess that he found himself in. This thing of having a soft heart. Did you know that that's the reason? That's why God said of him that he's got a heart after mine. Because it's a soft, it's teachable, it listens, it easily turns around. He had a soft heart. It's not because David was perfect. That's not what he was saying. But although he sinned and did stupid things, his heart was always easily turned back to God. That's something which we can learn this morning, is we can have that kind of heart. Now, unfortunately, and this is a difficult pill to swallow for all of us, the reality is, and as much as we wish it wasn't true, not everyone can be a Christian. That's ugly to say, right? Because as Christians, we feel like we've found a hope. We've found meaning in our lives. And we want that for everyone, but the reality is it's not going to happen. That's the bottom line. It isn't going to happen to everyone. And it's sad to say. But only those who can see themselves and their sin for what they really are, whose hearts can be broken, can recognize that they need help and reach out to God. Think about this. We know what that is there. I mean, if you were drowning off the side of a ship, you would want to see that. 
How useless would that be to throw that to you right now in the congregation? Here you go. You would go, thanks. What's wrong with this guy? Right? Because no one would need that on land. It isn't designed for land. And it sounds like a silly illustration, but think about it. Help is only appreciated when you recognize that you need it. Always. You ever try to help someone who isn't ready for help? Useless. Waste of effort, waste of breath, waste of time. Because then don't want help. Until people come to a place where they say, Oh, I am drowning. Oh, I'm not doing well. Then something can happen. But until that time comes, there's literally nothing that can be done. So, Jesus made it clear. This thing of help when he came. And, and Matthew 9, 9. Now, this is Matthew writing about himself. So, he's writing about himself in the third person. But Matthew chapter 9 and 9 to 13 says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. And amazingly, I think, Matthew just got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious people. These weren't the people against the church. These were the people that were in church. Okay, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, this is so important, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. When are you going to go to the GP? When you're feeling fine? Never. If there's no problem, you're not going to book a doctor's appointment. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. You see what he's doing there? He's changing the rules of the game. Because they understood it that if you're righteous, those are the people that Jesus wants. And he's saying, no, you know who I've come for? I've actually come for the people who can say, I'm drowning. I'm not coping. I'm under sin. I don't know what to do. I'm struggling. I feel like my life doesn't have purpose and hope. Those are the people that Jesus came for. And the thing is this, only those people realize that they're broken. Once you realize you're broken, that's the first step to becoming whole or fixed or well. The thing about having a broken heart, which is what God wants more than anything, is that we can keep our hearts soft to hear God's voice, but we can't break our own hearts. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Do you know what I'm, can you hear what I'm saying? Only people who are broken and who realize that they need a Savior, those are the ones who can have access to a Savior. Otherwise, you wouldn't feel that there was a need at all. But we can't get to that place on our own. How often do people say, oh, you know, I was going along my life and I was doing this and I was traveling and I was making money and then I, you know, I wanted to find, and I found God in my matric year. No, no, let me just help you. God found you. You didn't find God. Okay, God was never lost. God was always okay. I know we talk like that, and I found God, and it's amazing. No, no, God found you. He's been calling out to you the whole time. It was just now that you realize what this life boy is for. It was just now that you realize that you're actually drowning in an ocean. That's actually what happened. And as soon as you realize that, and your eyes were open to the fact that you were actually in trouble, could you say, I need something? And God was there all along saying, here I am. 
I've been waiting for ages. And he can give you that and he can give you the hand up. Does that make sense? It's the Holy Spirit that brings you to that place. It's never us that break our own heart. And uh, Jesus said these words in John 16, verse 7 and 8. I tell you the truth, it's for your good. Now he's talking about... Uh, He's talking to his disciples just before he goes back to heaven. I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, who is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, the Holy Spirit, he, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So who convicts people of the heaviness of their sin? The Holy Spirit. So if you're one of those people who likes doing that for other people, stop it. Don't try and convict people of their sin. It isn't your job. It isn't your role. It isn't your place. The Holy Spirit's role is to convict people. So he's the one who opens people's eyes up in a meeting just like this. At home, listening to a message, watching something on TV. He can open your eyes and you can realize you're floating in a massive ocean and you don't have a way out. It's him that does that, not us. It's very important to know that so we get our theology straight. So don't try and convict other people. Here's the thing. If your heart is broken up about your sin, that's the first step. If you know right now that you're living under stuff and you can't seem to get out of stuff, you can't seem to get victory over things, or maybe you've never made a decision to serve Christ and you feel there is a weight on you, the first thing is acknowledging it, is realizing it, that there is a brokenness. That's what David did first, I'm broken. The second thing he did, David, was he owned up. Psalm 51, verse 3 and 4, he says this, For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. How many of you know that when you're living under the weight of sin, it does haunt you day and night? You can't shake it. Everything you do, you're paranoid about who's going to find out things and what's going to happen. It haunts you. Against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Straight away, he owns this thing. You've got Nathan the prophet coming to him and saying, God knows what you did. This is what you did. It wasn't right, and God isn't happy. I can tell you now, there's a couple of reactions that he could have had there. There's a couple of ways he could have dealt with that. First of all, he's the king. He can just say, thanks for coming, off with his head, no problem. He could have done that. Another thing he could have done was maybe justify what had happened. And, you know, because this is how we deal with things, is we justify them, we rationalize them. You know, if my boss paid me more, I wouldn't need to help myself. I worked overtime, I worked the extra hours, I deserve the little bit of extra. Well, that's just justifying stuff in your own heart. But he didn't do that. What else could he have done? Okay, well, I'm now the king, I made a bad decision as the king. Who made me king? God did. If I wasn't king, I wouldn't be in this palace. If I wasn't in this palace, I wouldn't have seen this lady. If I hadn't seen this lady, I wouldn't have slept with this lady. If I hadn't slept with this lady, I wouldn't have had a baby with this lady. If I didn't have a baby, the baby wouldn't have died. So it all goes back to God. Why did you make me king? Isn't it easy to justify everything that we do? Isn't it easy to say, well, if this was like this, then I wouldn't need to do this. Well, if my wife wasn't such a beep, I wouldn't need to look elsewhere. Well, if my husband wasn't such an insensitive oaf, 
I wouldn't enjoy the conversations with the other guy at work as much as I do. Isn't it true that we can just justify absolutely anything? Here's the thing. David never did that. He owned it straight away. Nathan came to you. You're right. Straight away, I recognize my rebellion. This stuff is in me. I see it. I want it gone. That's what makes him have a heart like God's. As soon as David knew that God had busted him, he broke down and admitted it to God and himself. Remember what happened to Adam and Eve? Remember that story? And God was like, what happened here? And Eve was like, and no, Adam was like, it was her, it was her. And she was like, oh, it wasn't me, it was the snake. The snake was there. The snake was talking. Why did you make the snakes talk? If you made the snakes without the voice, then this wouldn't have happened. This is your fault again. You know, and she's going, no, why did you give me a help? I didn't need a help. I was all alone and I was fine. And now you give me this lady and she led me astray. It doesn't help anybody. When God speaks, our hearts need to be soft and teachable, not full of reasons and excuses. And he might be speaking to you right now. And you might even right now sit here and think, yeah, I understand that for everyone else, but my situation is different. No, it's not. Sorry. It's just the same as all of us. Okay. When God speaks, don't put up a wall. Don't build a brick wall between you and God. Because God will bring someone else then to speak to you, like he brought Nathan, and that's much more unpleasant. Trust me. When God speaks, we need to be soft. That's when we can genuinely admit that we're in the wrong. Own up, confess what we've done, and go to the next step. You see, if you can't do that, if you can't own it, you will never get to the next, next step, which is cleaned up. If you can't own it, I mean, how can, how, can, how can you be cleaned? How can you be made whole? How can you be restored? It's absolutely impossible. So the next step is cleaned up. Verses 7 to 10, Purify me from my sins, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. Don't you find that these things that weigh you down rob you of your joy? They rob you of your peace? They're things that keep you up at night and you're worried when, when the, penny, when the, the, the shoe's going to drop, when stuff's going to happen. And it robs you of your joy. And as Christians, some of the marks of a Christian, peace, joy, hope, when those things start disappearing, I can almost guarantee you that there's something that you're under that you shouldn't be under. But look what God can do. I'll be whiter than snow. Give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. And that was something David is known for. He's a musician. He's a poet. Rejoicing, singing, dancing. That's his thing. Let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. See, if we try and hide our excuse, or excuse our sin, we can't experience the fullness of God's grace and His forgiveness. And that's what He wants us to experience. So it's only after the process of being broken up and then owning up that we can be cleaned up. Through Jesus' death on the cross, and this is the ultimate, through Jesus' death on the cross, we have access to this complete forgiveness and healing. So, what can we say from all this? And this is the end of what I'm saying this morning. It's not about being good enough to be a Christian. The knowing that we are not good or worthy enough is actually what qualifies us to come to God for help and get a fresh start every time. That's important. 
Hopefully this has been helpful. Uh, I want us to listen to something really quickly. We're good for time. It's a song. The song is by a band called 10th Avenue North. Don't worry about that. It's not in the test later. 10th Avenue North. The song is called Healing Begins. It's not a new song. It's an old song. It's a good few years old. But I just find it's, it's a beautiful song. The lyrics are meaningful, and I think they tie in very well to what we've been dealing with this morning. Are we able to get that with a video, Ings? We're good. Okay. We're going to see if that works, and hopefully the lyrics will come there because I know it's not clear for everyone. Um, if they don't come there, I'll come and repeat a couple. So we're just going to listen to that, and then I'm going to come up and close off. Let's go. 
It's a good song, eh? I think it's a powerful song, and I think it relates very directly to what we're saying. This is where the healing begins. This is where the healing starts. When you come to where you're broken within. The light meets the dark. The light of God that meets the dark inside of us. That is the starting point for us. And, you know, whether you've been a Christian for a little while, or a long time, or you've never made a decision, this is helpful for you. You don't have to be under the sin that you've been under. You don't have to be under the weight of the stuff that you're carrying. It's possible for God in an instant to set you free. Does that free you from all your, all your consequences? Not always. That's the reality. But it frees you from something much more important than that, which is here. And you are set free from the inside to live the life that you were designed to live. And that's what God's offering.